0: Hey there, welcome to The tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, if you've been following us for any appreciable length of time here at and Aquatics, you've probably surmised that we're geekily obsessed with what we... Uh, called botanical substrates, which are basically aggregations of various botanicals ranging from leaves to twigs to seed pods to serve as a functional and aesthetic feature in our aquariums. Now, it's more or less a direct mimic of nature where leaves and other materials accumulate in streams and ponds, grasslands, and flooded forest areas, all those habitats we love so much. Now, we found over the years that uh, you know, while playing with botanical materials, that substrates can be really dynamic places and benefit from the, from the addition of leaves and all these other materials. It's not just sand and gravel and stuff. For so many years, substrates in the aquarium were really just sand and gravels. But with the popularity of planted aquariums, new materials like uh, clays and all kinds of other additives entered into the fray. And with botanical-style aquarium stuff starting to gain a little momentum now you're seeing larger and more unique and diverse materials entered in, uh, added to and into the substrate. And I think that's kind of neat. And then, of course, you're saying, oh, no, here he goes talking about that functional aesthetic shit again. Yes. Yes, I am. But let's think about the way I look at the substrate of an aquarium. When you're operating in our arena as botanical style aquarists, in a strictly aesthetic sense, the bottom itself becomes a big part of the aesthetic focus of the aquarium. And of course, I see the bottom of the aquarium as more than just sand or whatever. Rather, it's an important component of the aquarium habitat, with the botanicals placed upon the substrate, or in some cases, becoming the entire substrate. These materials form an attractive, texturally varied microscape of their own, creating color and interest. And In fact, I dare say that one of the next frontiers in our little niche would be an aquarium which is just substrate materials, without any vertical relief provided by wood or rocks. I've tried this before and it worked out pretty well with the tank i've shared with you many times which is just leaf litter now first off what are the potential benefits of constructing a bottom or a substrate consisting almost entirely or entirely of botanical materials well first off such substrates not only become physical places for fishes to hide and forage among they become an integral part of the entire closed aquarium ecosystem itself which helps influence the water parameters fosters the growth of fungi and microorganisms and just maybe provide some form of nutrient export or denitrification, although that last part's probably still a little bit speculative, but I think there's something there. I realize that experimenting with all these unusual substrates requires not only a sense of adventure, a direction, and some discipline, but a willingness to accept and deal with an entirely different aesthetic than what we now know and love. And also, this includes pushing into areas and ideas which might make us uncomfortable, not just for the way they look, but for what we are told might be possible risks. Sure, I said risk. One of the things that many hobbyists ponder when we contemplate creating deep, botanical-heavy substrates consisting of leaves and sand and other botanical materials is a buildup of hydrogen sulfide, CO2, and other undesirable con- you know, compounds within the substrate. Well, it certainly does make sense that if you have a large amount of decomposing material in the uh, aquarium, that some of these compounds are going to accumulate in heavily active substrates. Now, the big boogeyman that... We all seem to zero in on our sum of all fear scenarios as hydrogen sulfide, which results from bacterial breakdown of organic matter in the absence of oxygen. Let's think about this for just a second. In a substrate bed entirely of uh, uh, botanicals with materials placed on the substrate or loosely mixed in the top layers, will it all pack down enough to the point where it's a complete lack of oxygen and then we develop a significant amount of this reviled compounds in our tanks? I think that we're more likely to see some oxygen in this layer of materials, and I can't help but speculate, and it is just speculation, that actual denitrification, i.e. nitrate reduction, which lowers nitrates while producing free nitrogen, might actually be able to occur in a deep botanical bed. And it's certainly possible to have denitrification without you know, dangerous hydrogen sulfide levels. As long as even very small amounts of oxygen and nitrates can penetrate into the substrate, This will not become an issue for most systems. I personally have yet to see a botanical-style aquarium where the material has become so compacted as to appear to have no circulation whatsoever within the botanical layer. Now, sure, I'm not a scientist and I base this on close visual inspection of numerous aquariums and the basic chemical tests I've run on my systems under a variety of circumstances. As one who's made it a point to keep all of my botanical-style aquariums in operation for very extended time frames, I think this is significant. The bad side effects that we're talking about should manifest over these longer time frames, and they just haven't. And then there's the question of nitrate. Although the not the terror that ammonia and nitrite are known to be, nitrate is sort of a biological yardstick of overall water quality. Now, as nitrate accumulates, many fish will eventually suffer some health issues. Ideally, we strive to keep our nitrate levels no higher than 5 to 10 ppm in our aquariums. As a reef aquarist, I've always been of the you know keep it as close to zero as possible mindset but that's not always the most realistic or achievable target in a heavily botanical laden aquarium you have a bit more wiggle room with nitrate in my humble opinion now when you start creeping towards 50 parts per million you're getting closer towards a number that should alert you it's not a big stretch from 50 parts per million to 75 parts per million and higher and then you get towards the range where health issues could manifest themselves in your fishes now many fishes will not show any symptoms of nitrate poisoning until the level reaches a hundred parts per million or more However, studies have shown that long-term exposure to concentrations of nitrate stresses fishes, making them more susceptible to disease, affecting their growth rates, and inhibiting spawning in many species. At those really high nitrate levels, fishes will become noticeably lethargic, and they have other issues that are obvious upon visual inspection, such as, you know, open sores or reddish patches on their skin. And then you have those mysterious deaths, and the sudden death, essentially from shock, of newly added fishes to the aquarium because they're not acclimated to the higher nitrate concentrations. Okay, that's scary stuff. However, high nitrate concentrations are not only manageable, they're something that's completely avoidable in our aquariums. Quite honestly, in even the most heavily botanical-laden systems I've played with, I've personally never seen a higher nitrate region than around 5 parts per million. And that's no bullshit, and I'm not looking to hold myself up as a shining example of aquaristic perfection. I simply attribute this to common-sense stuff, Good quality source water, careful stocking, feeding, good circulation, and consistent basic aquarium husbandry practices like water changes, filter maintenance, etc. Now that's just me. I'm no scientist, certainly not a chemist, but I have a basic understanding of maintaining a healthy nitrogen cycle in the aquarium. And I'm habitual, perhaps even obsessive about consistent maintenance. Water exchanges are not a when I get around to it thing in my aquarium management playbook. They're baked into my practice. They should be a standard practice for every aquarist who plays with a botanical-style aquarium, period. So yeah, although nitrate accumulation is a potential concern in botanical-style aquariums, it need not be an ominous cloud hanging over our success. In my opinion, the far more problematic issues with botanicals and water quality are related to lapses in our own good judgment and to misguided practices and approaches. Experience with our customer base tends to confirm this too. The very few issues that we've seen with people pushing it too far in terms of botanical applications were caused by rapid influxes of large quantities of botanical materials to existing stable aquariums, which I believe overwhelmed the resident bacterial population and might have resulted in rapid oxygen depletion and a corresponding increase in CO2. The result was fishes hanging on the surface and an attempt to get oxygen. The good news was that in almost every situa- situation like this that I've heard of, it was remedied pretty easily by adding additional aeration, a series of water exchanges, and or removing some of the materials. Generally, loss of life was minimal. Minimal sounds horrible. I hate using that term. Or non-existent as a result of these measures. Regardless, it's really important to be careful. Fish can die if we push too hard. It's not just boil, dump, and instant Amazon. (laughs) Measured implementation and experimentation is required when using botanicals. We're often adding you know, biological materials to established aquariums, which might not be able to handle large, fast influxes. Makes sense. There's obviously some upper limit of how much botanical material we can add to a given established system in a brief period of time. And it's especially more profound in newly established aquariums with immature nutrient export mechanisms in place. What kind of things can we do to prevent problems like this? Well, for one thing, we could add botanical materials gradually at a slow, steady pace. This will give our bacteria population a chance to catch up with the influx of materials being added. Also, it will slow down the pace of any pH fluctuations, assuming we're utilizing stuff that can affect the pH in the first place, so that the fishes can adjust to them. It's common sense, best practice for us. Another thing would be to employ good circulation within your system, which not only results in greater oxygenation and mixing of water strata, it physically suspends fine particulates in your system as well, making it easier for mechanical filtration to remove. Of course, that assumes you don't like the look of stuff in the water, as some of us do. Any debris stirred up by this flow can be removed mechanically by filtration, as I mentioned before. Of course, you don't have to go crazy suckening the hell out of your sand every week, essentially decimating populations of beneficial, you know, microscopic infauna, or interfering with their function in the process. Now, I think one of the most liberating things we've seen in blackwater botanical-style aquariums is our acknowledgement that you can and should use the substrate itself to become a functional mechanism for its inhabitants. It's certainly no stretch to call our use of botanicals as a form of active substrate, much like the use of clays, mineral additives, etc. are in planted aquariums or in terrariums, although our emphasis is on creating specific water conditions, fostering the growth of microorganisms and fungi, as well as creating unique aesthetics versus the more traditional substrate materials, which foster conditions specifically for plant growth. Now, once your substrate's in place, nature takes over, and the materials that develop that lovely patina of biofilms and microbial growth, and they start breaking down. Some are gonna get moved about by the grazing activities of the fishes or otherwise redistributed around the aquarium by current. A literal active substrate, I guess. Yet it's something that's fascinating and beautiful for those who give the idea a shot. Once again, I encourage you to study the natural environment, particularly the niche habitats of streams, rivers, and lakes, and draw inspiration from the functionality of these zones. The aesthetic component will come together pretty much by itself. And accepting that a very diverse, not-so-quite-pristine look of a real thing will give you an appreciation for the wonders of nature and unlock new creative possibilities that you haven't even thought of. It's beyond liberating. In fact, it's something that's really spurred me to reevaluate the way I interpret botanical-style aquariums, to go beyond the aesthetics and embrace the functions, the food production, biological filtration, biodiversity. It's a fascinating journey. Over many years of aquarium keeping, I've learned not to be afraid of one of the tangential benefits of these types of substrates, detritus. Yeah, detritus. The thing we all collectively freak out about. The definition is accepted in the aquarium hobby. It is kind of sketchy in this regard and not flattering at the least. Detritus is dead organic matter. It typically includes the bodies of fragments of dead organisms as well as fecal material. Detritus is colonized by communities of microorganisms which act to decompose or re-mineralize the material. I always trip over that word for some reason. Everyone thinks that's so bad. I'm not buying it. Why is this necessarily a bad thing? I mean... Even in the above definition, there's that part about it being colonized by communities of microorganisms which act to decompose or remineralize. It's being processed, utilized. What do these microorganisms do? They eat it. They render it inert. And in the process, they contribute to the biological diversity and arguably even the stability of the system. Some of them are utilized by food for other creatures, or as food for other creatures, excuse me. It's kind of important in a closed system, I would think. Yeah, it's really important. It's part of the biological operating system of our aquariums, and it's a direct product of much of the materials that we keep on the bottom of our aquariums. It's not all bad. I think we should embrace this, especially in a botanical style aquarium, which essentially runs on the decomposition of materials. In the flooded forest floors that we find in nature, the leaf litter community of fishes, insects, fungi, and microorganisms is really important to the overall tropical environment. Why? Because it assimilates terrestrial material into the blackwater aquatic system and acts to reduce the loss of nutrients to the forest, which would inevitably occur if all this material was washed downstream. Stuff's being used by a myriad of life forms. we talked about this forever, and I think it has much merit to consider. Is there a lesson from nature that we can incorporate into our aquarium work? I think so. Okay, so detritus may not be the most attractive thing to look at in our tanks. I'll give you that. It literally looks like a pile of shit. (laughs) However, we're not talking about... Accumulating fish poop and uneaten food, it's broken down botanical materials. That's a hugely important distinction. As we talk about so much around here, just because something looks a certain way doesn't mean that it's always a bad thing, right? What does it mean? Take into consideration why we add botanicals to our tanks in the first place. Now, you don't have to have huge piles of the stuff littering your sandy substrate, however, you could have some of it accumulating here and there among the botanicals and leaves where it may not offend your aesthetic, you know, aesthetic senses and it may still contribute to the overall aquatic ecosystem that you've created. Think about what the nitrogen cycle is and does and think about the impact of inputs and exports in and out of our closed systems. Ponder the potential benefits of allowing some of the stuff to remain. Think about the organisms which feed on it, their impact on the water quality, and on the organisms which feed on them. Then think about the fishes and how they utilize not only the material itself, but the organisms which consume it consider its role in the overall ecosystem. Is detritus just a nutrient trap or is it a place for fishes to forage among? A place for larval fishes to seek refuge and sustenance in? Kind of like they do in nature and have done so for eons. Yeah, I know we're talking about a closed ecosystem here, which doesn't have all the millions and millions of different inputs and export nuances that nature does. But structurally and functionally, we have some of them at the highest levels. Water going in, water coming out, food sources being added, stuff being exported, etc. I think we really need to look at and think about that in our systems, particularly in the botanical-style aquarium world. And we have to think of them, as I mentioned previously, as little microcosms which replicate, at least on some level, some of the processes which occur in nature to create a specialized but highly productive and successful, not to mention dynamic, ecology. And not all these you know, processes have perfectly appealing visuals. I believe that we as hobbyists need to separate aesthetics from the overall functional benefits of the various life forms and processes which appear in and guide our aquariums' ecological systems. There's so much more of this stuff than simply buying unflinchingly into overgeneralized statements that, you know, say things like "detritus is bad." I think the idea of an enriched substrate and accompanying products of the resident biota will become an integral part of the overall aquatic ecosystems that we create. You know, considering the substrate is both an aesthetic and functional component, even in a non-planted aquarium opens up an entirely new area of aquarium exploration. I envision that the future mainstream aquarium practice may include creating such a substrate or simply part of what we, uh, simply part of what we do. Adding a mix of botanical materials, live bacterial and small organism cultures, and even some detritus from healthy aquatic ecosystems may just become another way of how we establish aquariums. I think on that for a little bit. Think about what goes down in there on this substrate, and apply lessons and observations from nature to your botanical-style aquarium practice. It's not some amazing revolution. It's simply an evolution of practices that we've been playing with peripherally for decades. It's a way of looking at what's already working and trying to figure out the whys as we go. Let's keep going. Stay brave. Stay intrigued. Stay observant. Stay thoughtful. Stay diligent. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.